Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of This Week in Marvel. I am Marvel.com associate editor Ben Morse, and this is a particularly special and, dare I say it, historical episode of This Week in Marvel as I am flying solo. That's right, I am the sole host this week. Uh, Agent M is on a very special assignment for some stuff that's going to be very cool for all you guys coming up soon. Strami is also hard at work, so <clears throat> with no one else to uh, to play the co-host role, I'm going to be handling this one on my own. So I hope you guys like the sound of my voice, and hopefully I will not let you down on this. Uh, if I need to cough or anything like that, that would normally be the time I hand off to one of my co-hosts for them to kind of cover. So you might be hearing a lot of me coughing or taking a sip of water. Just bear with me. Uh, I'm excited, and hopefully you guys will be similarly excited after you hear this podcast as you are right now. Uh, to get right down to it, This Week in Marvel is Marvel.com's official podcast covering all Marvel products from comics to movies to TVs to video games to toys across the board. Uh, as always today, we've got a full listing of all the comics on sale this week all the digital comics on sale this week, how you can get them, the latest news, the latest movies and TV stuff, and questions from you guys as well. That said, I'm going to dive right into it and talk about the comics on sale this week. Uh, They went on sale Wednesday the 18th, which is actually the day I'm recording this, but it will be up later in the week. And we start things off with Amazing Spider-Man number 678, written by Dan Slott drawn by Umberto Ramos. Very cool departure from the recent kind of epics of Spider Island and uh, setting up for Ends of the Earth. We get a a little two-parter in between. Um, It's a neat concept. Dan Slott, the writer, actually told me about this a while ago, and I had forgotten it was coming up, so it was kind of a neat surprise. Uh, Spider-Man, of course, in his civilian identity of Peter Parker, works at Horizon Labs, um, which is a brilliant think tank for super geniuses coming up with very cool inventions and whatnot. And he is working with one of his fellow scientists who comes up with a doorway that leads you into the next day. Um, So basically, you step through the door, and if it's Wednesday, you step in the door, and it's Tuesday. The hitch, um, the kind of scientific explanation of this, is that you, if you step through the door, um, and you go to your next day, you weren't around for the previous 24 hours. So when Peter Parker's friend steps through the door, nothing happens, because if he's missing for 24 hours, it's not a big deal. When Peter Parker steps through the door, because he's Spider-Man, and if he is absent for 24 hours, things happen, suddenly New York is completely destroyed. And, of course, he can't really tell his buddy why this is, um, but all he can say is, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Spider-Man, I, I must have needed to ha- do something. But what ensues is basically Peter Parker using a newspaper he picked up from the, as they call it, the uh, like the, the bad Tuesday um side of the door because it's Monday Um, they pick up a newspaper from that side and they have a recap of everything that has happened everything that's supposed to happen that Monday so Peter Parker has to as Spider-Man go and retrace his steps to make sure he is everywhere he was supposed to be nothing goes wrong and try to prevent this catastrophe from happening the rest of the issue is just him you know doing every little thing whether it's uh, foiling a bank robbery whether it's stopping a supervillain. He just needs to do all these things. It's really clever. It's really smart. Um, it's a really neat little done-in-one story. Humberto Ramos has a lot of fun with just kind of depicting this very, it feels like a high-speed issue, um, regardless of how fast you read, because Spider-Man has to dart all over the place. Uh, and there's a cool mystery element as you try to figure out, along with Peter Parker, exactly what it is that he needs to do. So, very smart, very fun. Uh, Dan Slott puts in a nice little nod to us 90s Spider-Man fans as he has the villain facade. Um, that's F period, A period, C period, A period, D period, E period. Very obscure villain introduced in the 90s uh, who is an armored villain who appeared in one story whose name, uh, his, his identity or her identity was never revealed. That was the whole point of the story didn't really succeed as a character, so we never found out the secret identity. That's the villain Spider-Man fights here. They're about to reveal their identity, and then Spider-Man goes, I don't have time for this, and swings off. Uh, That's Stan Slott's way of poking fun at me and the other 
10 people who have been wondering since 1995 who Facade is. Very fun issue. Can't say enough nice things about that. Avengers number 21, written by Brian Michael Bendis with uh, guest art by Renato Guedes, recently of the Wolverine title, uh, is more of the Avengers taking on Norman Osborn. So the new Avengers lineup features Storm. The Vision is back. Uh, they are. They've basically been challenged by a resurgent Norman Osborn to stop his latest scheme, and they are flying. They're dividing into teams. Very old school superhero adventure flying into teams and trying to find Osborn at all his most recent hideouts. Uh, a bunch of Hammer kind of super agents are there at every turn to stop them, but you get to see a bunch of different Avengers combinations, whether it's Spider-Man and Hawkeye, uh, Storm and Red Hulk, Protector and Iron Man, Captain America and Vision. They all go up against different kind of menaces uh, that that Norman Osborn has cooked up. Um, Iron Man's armor gets taken over. He fights the Protector. The Protector gets some really cool moments. Um, Spider-Woman and Hawkeye have to fight a basically genetically engineered army of Hulks who also have spider powers. It's a lot of stuff crammed into an issue. It's, it's, it's all action. It's kind of on the run. Uh, Gwetis does a great uh, great job on art. It's a very different view of the Avengers. Um, you know, it's kind of like you've never seen before because he's never drawn the Avengers before, hence you've never seen it before. But it's another nice chapter in this ongoing Norman Osborn versus the Avengers saga that Brian Bendis is crafting, building both here and as well as in New Avengers. Back to the Spider-Verse in Avenging Spider-Man number three. Wraps up the initial story arc here, teaming Spider-Man with Red Hulk, written by Zeb Wells, art by Joe Madureira. Um, What's been going on to date is Spider-Man and Red Hulk have gone down to the, you know, beneath New York City where they thought the Mole Man was causing trouble, had kidnapped J. Jonah Jameson. Turned out it was a new, very nasty, very powerful uh, underground monster warlord type who took over from the Mole Man and has kidnapped J. Jonah Jameson. He's about to declare war on the surface world. Spider-Man and Red Hulk go down to stop him. In the previous issue, Red Hulk got destroyed by this guy. You know, he's incredibly powerful. So issue three is about Spider-Man and his classic David versus Goliath, overmatched, trying to uh, beat this guy who is much more powerful than him. It's, it's it, like, I, like I just said, it's a very classic Spider-Man trope where he has to fight someone much more powerful than him. It's, you know, almost back to the days when he had to just have to fight the juggernaut and he's got to use his wits to get out of it. Zeb Wells is a very smart writer. He's a very funny writer. His J. Jonah Jameson is fantastic and the way Spider-Man ends up solving the problem is not what you would immediately expect. Um, it's, it's very clever. It's very funny. Joe Madureira's art is, of course, a huge draw for this book. He was, you know, fantastic artist, born to draw Spider-Man. Does a really cool Red Hulk. Does a really cool just Moloids and stuff like that. So part of the fun is getting to see Joe Mad come off the bench and do some of this cool stuff. Um, but very neat resolution and leaves the door open for some interesting dealings going on with Mole Man and also a neat capper on where Spider-Man and Red Hulk are as far as their relationship when the issue ends. So give that a look. And that is also available uh, if you buy Avenging Spider-Man number three in print, you get a free digital copy. Uh, there's a code inside. So double your value, triple your value. It's, it's, it's a lot of value. I know that. Casanova Avarita, number three, that is from uh, Icon, creator-owned comic by Matt Fraction and Gabriel Ba. We do not get copies of that, but I have read it before. It's an awesome book, and it's definitely worth seeking out. You know, Gabriel Ba is brilliant as far as art, and Matt Fraction has a lot of fun writing Casanova. So if you're looking for a break from superhero comics, something really smart, really fun, Casanova Avarita, number three, is uh, something to check out. Daredevil number eight from Mark Wade and artist Kano steps in uh, to do a guest art here. This is Devil in the Details part two, continuing from last week's or two weeks ago's Amazing Spider-Man, continuing from Amazing Spider-Man number 677. When we last left our adventurers, uh, Black Cat had seemingly been framed for a burglary. Spider-Man recruited Daredevil to try to figure out what was going on, and they ran full on into Black Cat who um, ambushed them and tried to electrocute Spider-Man. So it seemed as if Black Cat perhaps had not been framed. She uh, maybe had done it, but 
in this issue, uh, we learn the truth behind what's going on with Black Cat. We end up, after some arguments, uh, we end up with a three-way team-up with Daredevil, Spider-Man, and Black Cat to try to get to the root of who has set her up, if she was set up, and try to figure out the, the nature of what's going on here. It's really all about um, the relationships in this issue, the dynamic. You've got Spider-Man and Daredevil, who, you know, they're kind of, they're, they're buddies, but they bicker, and also there's an interesting dynamic there where Daredevil's almost like the cool older brother to Spider-Man's nerdy, um, unconfident younger brother. Daredevil's just so slick and can handle everything. Spider-Man gets really annoyed at him, he's under his breath, where he's Daredevil. It's just kind of impatient with Spider-Man. Um, there's some great tricks with how Daredevil's powers work and how Spider-Man will get fooled by things that don't fool Daredevil. Uh, Daredevil gets the drop on a lot of bad guys by the fact that they're us utilizing a hologram projector, uh, which doesn't bother him because he can't see. So they think they're putting up all these fake uh, barriers to keep him away, but damn, it's just... It's just white noise. That's a lot of fun. Um, Black Cat and Spider-Man are exes, and they're bickering, and it's hilarious. Uh, Black Cat basically thinks Spider-Man wants to get her back into bed, which may or may not be true, um, but that plays into this issue. And then Daredevil and Black Cat kind of hit it off. Uh, as we know, as has been said many times, it is very hard for um, any ladies in the Marvel Universe to get too close to Matt Murdock without his other superpower of being seemingly irresistible and charming kicking in. So that leads to some interesting places. Just a really fun issue. Uh, Mark Wade writes great character, and Kano does a bang-up job on art. Uh, also leads into some bigger stuff coming up from Daredevil as far as the Omega Drive, which is the device he's in possession of with tons of secrets and information on organized crime, and a subplot going on with Foggy Nelson uh, investigating something going on with Matt Murdock's father's grave. Um, the graveyard, a lot, a lot of the other people who have relatives buried there are suing the graveyard because there's been some sort of disturbance in the ground and Foggy Nelson turns up, no pun intended, some uh, interesting facts. Love Daredevil, one of our best books, and this is a really just a bang-up issue. Uh, really fun, really good use of the guest stars and really great action flowing along. Deadpool Max 2, number 4, by David Lapham and Kyle Baker is a Max book, so I do not have possession of that, but I can say that it is one of Agent M's very favorite books, and I'm sure were he here, and not on special detached assignment, where he is doing very important stuff, as I said, he would recommend it heartily, so I, in his place, will say to check out Deadpool Max 2, number 4. And Fear Itself, The Fearless, number 7, uh, we're past the halfway point of this limited series written by Colin Bunn with Matt Fraction and Chris Yost, drawn by Mark Bagley and Paul Pelletier. And we have started having some of the various players who are after the hammers of the worthy come into conflict in this issue. The Avengers take on the DOA. They take on Sin. Uh, Valkyrie finally meets up with their former allies. But the centerpiece is really a incredibly brutal, awesome throwdown kind of no prisoners fight between crossbones and wolverine drawn by mark bagley uh, it's so cool um it is neither guy taking an inch to the best of my knowledge these guys have never fought before wolverine is obviously as vicious as they come he's got a healing factor he's very tough to take on crossbones is a jerk who also happens to be a master of not just guns but knives swords hand-to-hand -hand combat so basically, Crossbones is this guy who's not going to stop coming. Wolverine's a guy who can take anything he can dish out. They're just two freight trains really let loose on each other. And Bagley, you know, known for drawing, you know, kind of drama and soap opera and Ultimate Spider-Man, things like that, reminds you that he is a fantastic action artist and can really depict a violent, brutal throwdown here. So... <clears throat> Still big things to come in The Fearless, but this is a really nice issue to check out. Um, hopefully you've been reading the whole series, but if you're looking for just an issue to check out, man, this, this Crossbones Wolverine fight is worth it. This is one of the times where I wish I was not sitting alone in an empty room because I want to talk to my friends about how cool this was. I'll probably do it afterwards, and you guys can tell me on Twitter how cool it was. I hope you pick it up. Generation Hope, number 15, uh, by James Asmus, and guest artist Tim Green the second, 
picks up from James Asmus's initial arc where the Generation Hope, the Five Lights team, picked up Sebastian Shaw, an amnesiac Sebastian Shaw, and brought him back to Utopia. Last issue ended with them showing up and Cyclops being like, what the hell are you doing with him? None of them know who he is. Cyclops does. This issue starts out with a bang with Cyclops wanting the X-Men to take him down immediately. And then, you know, uh, the backdrop of the issue is Hope having a philosophical debate with Cyclops about does does Sebastian Shaw, since he doesn't know who he is anymore, deserve a shot at redemption? Uh, is he too fundamentally bad? Can he be forgiven for everything he's done to the X-Men, given his circumstances? Emma Frost chimes in, since she's the one who put him in this amnesic state. Um, it's some very interesting stuff there. But then, also, you've got the remainder of the lights taking on an awesome team of just bizarre mutants uh, just just kind of a ragtag team that includes dragonus from the mutant liberation front random some other 90s and other words mutants who basically are pissed off that the lights get all this attention from cyclops and the other x-men whereas they just hang out on utopia and don't do anything uh and get kind of neglected to their end so there's a cool fight there and of course me being me i love Anytime you can use uh, an obscure 90s X-Men character, particularly someone from the Mutant Liberation Front, uh, Dragonus being quite a favorite. I remember her, her would-be romance with Cannonball during Executioner's Song, um, and that's my first Executioner's Song reference of the week, so there we go. Generation Hope number 15, making dreams come true. <clears throat> um, over in Ghost Rider number 8 by writer Rob Williams and artist Lee Garbet. Um, we've got the conclusion of the two-parter with Hawkeye guest starring. Johnny Blaze and the new Ghost Rider Alejandra are trying to take on Steel Wind and Steel Vengeance, the cyborg-slash-undead motorcycle twin sisters. Uh, one is dead and reanimated corpse. One is a cyborg. They're both attached to their motorcycles. They are fantastically weird villains. Uh, Rob Williams is a lot of fun with this book. Uh, loves writing Johnny Blaze dialogue. Great dialogue from the villains as well. And even Alejandra, he's really starting to get a sense for, for her voice. Hawkeye, who traditionally has been kind of, you know, the wild card of the Marvel Universe, is really the straight man here. He's trying to bring the Ghost Riders in for, for what he thinks is justice. And it could very well be for stuff Alejandra did when she first became Ghost Rider. She killed a bunch of innocent, didn't kill, she incapacitated some innocent people, uh, not really knowing her power. Johnny Blaze is trying to kind of steer her on a different path, teach her how to use her power. She's trying to figure out what she wants. You've got these crazy cyborg sisters. Um, a lot of action, a lot of craziness. Some beautiful art like by Lee Garbett and some really just very funny dialogue. Uh, Rob Williams, he's, he's a pretty funny guy. And uh, on Ghost Rider, it's an interesting fit. So that's kind of cool. Halo Fall of Reach Invasion, number one, is the kickoff of another uh, tie-in to the video game Giant Halo, um, written by our old buddy Brian Reed with art by Felix Ruiz. And if you're a Halo fan, if you're a fan of these video games and you want to uh, kind of see what's what would happen before the games, in between the games, stuff like that, as always, our Halo comics are a great opportunity for you to check that out. So, start of a new series, another chance to jump in. Over in Invincible Iron Man number 512 by Matt Fraction and Salvador La Roca. Uh, what I love about Invincible Iron Man is that every issue manages to have a pretty awesome fight. In this case, it's between the Dreadnoughts and uh, Iron Man. Uh, although Iron Man doesn't really get to the fight this time, it's more just the Dreadnoughts wreaking havoc, but also it's balanced by all the character stuff going on. Uh, the Mandarin <clears throat> is, is embarking has been embarking for quite some time now under under Matt Fraction uh, on a pretty big plan to ruin Tony Stark's life. Um, but it's not the typical, you know, I'm going to kidnap your girlfriend or I'm going to attack you head on. He is using the fact that Tony Stark, everyone knows he took a drink during Fear Itself. Um, everyone knows he's a former alcoholic. And Mandarin is basically framing him for having fallen back off the wagon on a more permanent basis than he actually has. He's souping up a bunch of his old villains, uh, from Ezekiel Stain to Blizzard to Living Laser to the Dreadnoughts now, or the latest edition, and trying to sabotage his company, trying to sabotage his life, and still 
Iron Man has no idea why all this stuff is happening to him. So this issue, in addition to the Dreadnoughts attacking, you know, we find out what's going on <clears throat> with the folks at Stark Resilient. <clears throat> Apologies for my throat clearing. Um, we find out what's going on with War Machine. We find out what's going on with the villains who have their own side of the story because a lot of these villains have been kind of conscripted by the Mandarin. They have bombs inside them, which he has planted, which some of them aren't thrilled about. Living Laser's kind of freaking out. Blizzard is saying, well, you know, maybe this is the best thing. You know, we're getting we're getting good work. Ezekiel Stain has his own feelings. We see what's going on with Detroit Steel. There's a lot in this book. It's very packed. Um, you definitely get... <clears throat> everything for your money when you pick up Invincible Iron Man. And Salvador La Roca has been on this book for a couple years now. He's, he's coming up on four years on the book, and you would think at this point he's drawn everything. Really continues to stretch and <clears throat> seems to really enjoy redesigning old Iron Man characters. Uh, this issue, the Dreadnoughts, a lot of the former villains. There's also a really neat cameo by uh, Henry Hellrung from... The Order book that Matt Fraction, one of his first works when he did at Marvel, uh, he ties it in. If you don't know who he is, it doesn't really matter. It's just a neat little, uh, he's an old friend of Tony Stark's, so he has a neat little bit here. So, very, uh, <clears throat> very busy book, Invincible Iron Man, as it should be. You know, it's one of our, one of our most industrious characters. Makes sense you'd have an industrious book, and he absolutely does. From Iron Man, we take a sojourn over to the world of John Carter. Two worlds of John Carter. Actually, we got a John Carter double hit this week. Um, we have the conclusion of two John Carter limited series. First of all, John Carter, A Princess of Mars, number five, by Roger Langridge and Felipe Andrade. It's an adaptation of Edgar Rice Burroughs' original John Carter series, which is basically, for lack of a better term, John Carter's origin, how he came to Mars, how he met various characters. His initial romance with Deja Torres, um, how he rescues her from various stuff. Ryan and I have been talking about John Carter, Princess of Mars, a lot on this podcast for good reason. You know, we love it when we're introduced to new fiction, um, just new worlds via Marvel, via comics. And John Carter, Princess of Mars has been a great, great example of that. It's not a superhero book. It's based on work that has been around for decades. And it's really... A neat glimpse into something that has endured for so long and you find out why Roger Langridge's writing is really spot on. He does a great job of bringing these characters to life in a way that does not feel outdated. Felipe Andrade's art is it's, it's, it's alien. Um, it's very alien, um, which is perfect. It feels liquid. It feels um, otherworldly, which of course is the base of this book. And this story is really it's heart an epic romance a lot of adventure and the way it concludes is kind of a neat twist um and it, it leaves you one more which is nice it really starts you on the path to learning more about this world and these characters who are very exciting you know every bit as much as marvel universe in their own way and it, it did a great job capping it off on the flip side or on the other side of Mars, we should say, John Carter, World of Mars, number four, also concluded that series by Peter David and Luke Ross, which is another gorgeously done series. Luke Ross really has a knack for drawing things like expansive deserts or alien races and making them seem both like, all right, that's 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 kind of plausible. I guess that's what that would look like if I could really see it, but also just, you know, big and epic. And Peter David has done a lot of adaptations, and he's a big fan of this material, does a great job with this. John Carter, World of Mars, is a prequel to the upcoming movie from Disney, but it's also really a prequel to the John Carter mythos. Uh, John Carter barely features in it. It's more his allies, Deja Thoris and Tars Tarkas, um, telling their origins, telling where they came from. So it's a lot of world-building stuff. So, you know, these two comics together, separately... It's, it's your chance to immerse yourself into a whole other universe. Um, I really do encourage it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously a huge fan of all the superhero stuff we do. That's my bread and butter. But I've been really excited to expand beyond with this, this new stuff. And John Carter is a great opportunity to do that. So, you know, if you're anticipating the movie, if you don't know what the movie is, but you've seen a preview, it looks kind of cool, give these books a shot. Um, they're coming out in trade very soon if you missed the single issues. But if you've been reading the books the whole time, you know what? Write in, let us know what you thought of it, because we've been very impressed with John Carter, and I uh, think you will be too. So enjoy that. Another limited series concluding this week, Legion of Monsters, number four, by Dennis Hopeless and Wando. Wando, a uh, good friend 
with mine and of Agent M's, uh, who just did awesome work on this series art-wise, and Dennis Hopeless, fantastic introduction into the Marvel Universe for him. Uh, it's the Legion of Monsters, Morbius, Werewolf by Night, guest star Elsa Bloodstone. They have been tracking for four issues this virus that turns kind of docile monsters into very angry, violent, rampaging creatures. Uh, they found out last issue that a lot of it's Morbius's fault. Uh, one of the things that struck me this issue is Morbius really, really kind of acts like a jerk, um, which is always fun because jerks in comics are fun, and it gives Elsa Bloodstone someone to play off. It gives Werewolf by Night someone to play off. Uh, they come up with a pretty creative solution on how to stop this virus, because obviously a virus is a lot harder to fight than your traditional villain. You can't just punch it. And I will say they find out a way to punch it. Um, it adds more stuff to Monster Metropolis, all these cool ideas that have been built up over the last couple of years, and plays off these characters' chemistry with one another. Also, just Morbius being an utter jerk, but he's the kind of jerk you 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 learn to love. And speaking of love, there's just a lot of love put into this book, so I think you'd appreciate it and check it out. Moon Knight number nine by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Malev. Uh, Alex Malev. He pronounces it Malev sometimes, but that's with an accent, so it gets me confused. That's another story for another day. This is Moon Knight uh, versus Count Nefaria. Speaking of that, Spider-Man versus um, <clears throat> that Spider-Man versus the warlord guy i was i was talking about from avenging spider-man this is a very similar thing where it's moon knight against a character way 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 more powerful than him and count nefaria this is a guy who's taking down thor and moon knight kind of pulls out all the tricks and this issue is uh it's kind of dissecting the fight between these two guys the one-on-one -on -one battle somewhat one-on-two -on -two because echo plays a role as well um but it's really moon knight taking some tricks he's learned from his multiple personalities, from uh, Captain America, Spider-Man, and Wolverine, who are currently in Moon Knight's brain, and he uses tricks from each of them to fight Count Nefaria, and <clears throat> it's kind of cool, because you get to see how these heroes would try to take on an all-powerful villain like Count Nefaria, also how Moon Knight would do it, you get some insight into how he trained for it, how his kind of personality disorder works um so it's 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 a nice action issue but there's some psychological layers to it a very intense ending that really leaves you wondering what's gonna be next for this book and for moon knight himself uh some lines get crossed here which are really good and of course alex Maleev's art as always is dynamite the cover's really good um and gives you a good indication of kind of the quality you're getting inside which is very nice stuff New Mutants, number 36. Uh, it's the conclusion of the latest story arc, which we have crowed much about uh, by writers Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning and uh, artist David Lopez, three guys we, we have great uh, affection for. It has had the New Mutants tracking down Blink and in the process coming up against a heavy metal band named Discord, who I'd, it's, it's not spelled like normal Discord. There's like a K and an H in there. I'm sure it's very British. Um, or just two British guys trying to trying to be hip. Um, in any regards, uh, these heavy metal guys have been causing natural disasters. The New Mutants aren't quite sure why, because every every stop they visit on their concert, they cause an earthquake or they cause a tornado. Something horrible happens. Here, the New Mutants figure out what's up. They figure out how to combat it. Uh, Magma gets a big moment. Blink gets to do some really cool stuff. The Blink Danny Moonstar team, uh, who I've really enjoyed, get to figure out how to work their powers in concert, or their powers and skills, because Danny Moonstar has no powers. Uh, Danny makes a big decision involving Blink, and a lot of turning point issues for this. There's some stuff involving Sunspot and Magma. Uh, Nate Gray, Warlock, Cypher, you name it, they all get their moments in this issue. David Lopez's art is a lot of fun. It's very, it's very uh, creative, and he likes to play around with it. Uh, New Mutants is just kind of a, right now it's a very fun book. It's, it's, it's has its heavy moments, but you read this, you know, you're gonna get kind of a romp. You're gonna get kind of a cool little adventure story, and uh, it's exactly what you need sometimes. So dig that. <clears throat> Six Guns number four, we are rounding the corner on this, as I've called it, a mashup of Western, Marvel Universe, crime, noir, everything. Uh, in, the, in the country of San Diablo, uh, a bunch of disparate gunfighters, kids, bikers, lawmen, everyone have kind of come together 
in this outlaw country where uh, a corporation, an, an offshoot of Roxxon, is up to no good. Uh, you find out kind of what they're up to in this issue. Uh, you get the new two-gun kid taking a, taking a prominent role here. He literally is a kid with two guns uh, who taught himself to shoot on Xbox. And uh, I really dig this character. He's just he's this kid who doesn't talk much. He just kind of jumps around shooting things. Um, you also got the Black Rider, who's this big burly biker who is, you know, right out of Sons of Anarchy or a show like that. Kind of, you know, the, not, not a nice guy, but he's got his code of ethics and trying to do the right thing as he determines the right thing. Uh, you got Tarantula, the female mercenary, um, and the guy on her tail. Um, the guy on her tail, Matt Slade. You got Tex Dawson, a uh, lawman trying to make sense of it all. All these guys going up against rocks on with you know none of them have superpowers. They can shoot guns. They can throw. A, they can throw a punch. Uh, Andy Diggle does a good job of making the story really exciting. Davide Gianfelice, love the art here. Uh, whether he's drawing a gunfight or a plane crash or anything like that, he keeps the action very strong and you know keeps it very different, which makes sense. It's a very different story within the Marvel universe, but it is within the Marvel universe and has a cool Marvel feel. So again, as I was talking about before with John Carter, if you're looking to expand your palette, as it were, uh, you want to check out something with a little different flavor, Six Guns, perfect opportunity. Thunderbolts, number 169 by Jeff Parker with art by Kev Walker, who really, really steps up his game in this issue, um, in my opinion. Um, you know, Kev Walker is fantastic, but they go back to King Arthur's time. As anyone who's been th following Thunderbolts knows, the Thunderbolts have been careening back in time, uh, kind of out of control, trying to get a handle on how they can get back to the present, but they just came from uh, Victorian England before, and now they're in King Arthur's time. Uh, they pose, part of the fun is Kev Walker does some, some redesigns of their costumes, so they have to pose basically as Arthurian knights. They come into conflict with King Arthur and his guys, with Merlin, with Galahad, with the Black Knight. Uh, Troll has a great fight with the Black Knight. Boomerang has a great bit here where he, he steals a sword and really wants to hold on to it. Uh, Satana and Moonstone get some great moments, but Kev Walker really, and uh, also I gotta you know gotta give credit to the the color work of uh, Frank Martin here. Them working in concert, they really do a nice job making a really kind of lush and uh, very vibrant landscape and characters. Uh, it really pops off the page. Um, you know, you've got the horse the horse battles, the the sword battles, and everything that's going on. The Thunderbolts in their new costumes. Uh, this is all under a cool cover by Joe Quinones. Um, I've enjoyed the Thunderbolts traveling through time, but this this may even, as much as I like the World War II story, I think I may may like this one more. I really dig Arthurian legend, and I think Jeff Parker does too, because he's having a lot of fun with this issue, as is evident. Over in the Ultimate Comics universe, uh, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number six features guest art by Chris Samney, which is always a treat. Um, Miles Morales has now received his new costume and has officially taken on the role of Spider-Man. He's uh, taken it up from Peter Parker. He somewhat got the approval of Spider-Woman and now he is off trying to do what he can do. He has a, uh, you know, just a standard stopping a mugger thing here. Also, on the civilian side of things, has a very interesting talk with his mother. Um, he's learned kind of some stuff about his dad's past um, that he wasn't always uh, wasn't always the best guy, that his dad and his uncle uh, had some criminal endeavors when they were younger. His, his uncle still does, which I'll get back to in a sec, but really kind of heartfelt, really uh, really kind of wrenching conversation between Miles Morales and, and his mother um, about her keeping things from him, about whether or not, you know, nature versus nurture, because his dad was at one point a criminal, does that mean the potential is within him? And are no easy answers, and uh, Brian Bendis does a great job here. You know, it's one of his specialties, kind of cut to the heart of, of this type of issue, and doesn't disappoint with, you know, a, a conversation here that gives you some insight into Miles, gives you some insight into his mother, who's a character who has not been really fully explored here, and, you know, keeps fleshing out this, this new character, this new cast, which is really different than anything you've seen before. Also, uh, Miles' uncle, who is the Prowler, 
um, in the Ultimate Universe, encounters the Ultimate Scorpion, who is nothing like any scorpion you've ever known. Uh, basically, goes down to South America, and the scorpion is kind of running the show there. Not a nice guy. Uh, the Prowler, not a nice guy either. Sets up some cool stuff for the next few issues where, you know, we're going to start seeing some actual supervillains come into the pages of Ultimate Comics Spider-Man, and I, for one, am quite excited to see that. Um, it's a very, it's a Chris Samney, as I said, always a treat to have him, and he gets to play in a whole new, whole new sandbox here with Miles Morales, and we get to see someone else draw Miles Morales, which is neat. Uh, he's a new character still, and still kind of getting his getting his feet together and um it's neat to see different portrayals of him so things are picking up in ultimate comics spider-man it's been a great five issues so far this issue number six you know kind of steers you towards steers you towards the next phase which i think is gonna be a lot of fun in uncanny x-force number 20 we are also coming out of a major storyline the dark angel saga has now concluded and rick remender and guest artist greg tocchini begin the next uncanny x-force epic which brings the team to otherworld uh home of captain britain the captain britain Corps. captain britain of course is psylocke's brother uh her other brother jamie braddock is also involved here and the center of this issue is the trial of Phantom X. Phantom X is put on trial by the Captain Britain Corps for killing the child host of Apocalypse way, way, way back in the first arc of Uncanny X-Force. Um, there is a trial by jury. Um, there is kind of a, a neat re-exploration of the Captain Britain mythos, uh, which is vast. And for those of you who don't know it, this is a really good primer issue. Uh, tells you a lot about Otherworld, uh, which is essentially the, it's, it's, it's where uh, Captain Britain and the Captain Britain Corps, which is a whole interdimensional army of Captain Britons, um, protect the Omniverse. Uh, it's the origin of magic. This is where all magic comes from. And it's really, it's a, it's, it's, it's a spot in the Marvel Universe that has been touched now and again, but has a lot of untapped potential that I know writer Rick Remender really wants to get into. Greg Ticini is a great artist. He's a uh, great artist for this story because he has a very loose style, uh, likes to really like let things flow, really kind of almost surreal and dreamlike, which is very much the feel for Otherworld. Uh, Psylocke has to deal with her family, kind of explain what she's been doing um, and also explain to herself what she's been doing and kind of decide whether or not the choices she's made lately have been the right ones. The flip side, Phantom X is absolutely sure the choices he's made lately are right, but he has to defend himself against the Captain Britain Corps who really aren't interested in hearing it. The rest of X-Force are helping Nightcrawler from the Age of Apocalypse get kind of acquainted to our Earth and we start to see very quickly the differences between our familiar Nightcrawler and this Nightcrawler, who is not the most pleasant individual, but before the issue is over, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and Deadpool get drawn to Otherworld, um, and right in the middle of a big mystical war with dragons and all sorts of other things, and uh, right drops right into the Trial of Phantom X, but also in the middle of some forces invading other worlds. So this promises the next issue where we're going to start seeing X-Force, the Captain Britain Corps, not just the fate of Phantom X and, you know, what's going on with Psylocke and her family, but also a big war between the Captain Britain Corps and this invading faction with X-Force kind of caught in the middle. So a very cool, very exciting setup for the next big Uncanny X-Force epic, which if it's anything like the previous one, we are in for quite a treat. Interestingly enough, in Uncanny X-Men number 5 by Kieran Gillen and Greg Land, uh, Psylocke is also the center of attention there, and it is also picking up on threads from Uncanny X-Force, specifically when, during the Dark Angel saga, uh, Archangel and Dark Beast and the rest of their horsemen and their crew uh, remade a town. They wiped out a town, and they kick-started its evolution to create this bizarre place called Tabula Rasa where evolution has gone haywire uh, basically you know millions of years occurred in the space of a day and there are giant bats there's bizarre vegetation uh, things are freaking out because they were under a dome for what they perceive as millions of years but now they're out in the sunlight and they don't know what's going on Psylocke basically tells the X-Men she's discovered this area and they need to go investigate. They don't know about X-Force for the most part, except for Magneto, who has a very revelatory and interesting conversation with Psylocke in this issue. 
but Cyclops brings his team to Tabula Rasa. They're going to deal with this. He even tells the Avengers, um, hey, we're going to go deal with this. We, we can do a better job. It's an interesting little brief conversation between Cyclops and Captain America. It's certainly a portent of things to come. Um, but they head off there, and they kind of brave the wilds of Tabula Rasa, but at the same time, uh, much like the Avengers issue from earlier, pair off into teams. We get some interesting stuff there. We get Storm needling Cyclops a little bit about his recent decisions. Like I said, we get a great confrontation between Psylocke and Magneto that's worth the price of admission. And uh, some really fun stuff with Hope and Namor, uh, which is a weird pairing. But Hope kind of teases Namor, or at least I think she's teasing Namor. Uh, and I'm not sure he gets it or not but basically about his utter self-confidence. Um, they're, they're a lot of fun. There's some great lines in this issue, as, as we would expect from Karen Gillan. So another great story there, spinning out of recent X-Events. And finally, we have Venom number 12, um, again by Rick Remender, with artist Lan Medina. He includes the road trip storyline where Venom and uh, Jack-O-Lantern were traveling to Las Vegas to retrieve something for Crime Master. And I'm going to go ahead and say what it turns out to be is, get ready, uh, get ready, symbiote fans. It is the Toxin symbiote. Uh, Toxin, of course, was the somewhat, it's hard to get into, but the offspring of Venom and Carnage. Uh, yeah, it sounds kind of kind of messy, and it was, but basically they produced a symbiote, and when last we saw, the symbiote was bonded to someone. Here, it is not, um, and Venom goes in to retrieve it, but in the process, Venom gets really, really angry. Basically, uh, everything that's been going down to Flash Thompson becomes too much for him, and he loses control, and we don't see the Venom we've become accustomed to the last year or so. We see the old Venom, uh, the Eddie Brock out-of-control Venom, it's still Flash Thompson, but the symbiote has taken over, does a lot of damage to Las Vegas, gets in a big brawl with Jack-O-Lantern, and by the end of the issue, Flash Thompson is really at his lowest rung. Uh, it's leading into the big Circle of Four crossover event with Red Hulk, X-23, and Ghost Rider coming up. Uh, and this tees that up, but also just a really big turning point in the life of Flash Thompson. Um, so those are the comics that were on sale this week. There were a lot of good ones. I guess it falls on me to give out the twin of the week. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of good issues, a lot of really worthy ones. I enjoyed Uncanny X-Force a lot. I enjoyed Amazing Spider-Man a lot. Fear Itself, The Fearless had a great fight and some really cool stuff from the John Carter books. But I'm going to go ahead and say Daredevil number eight. Uh, with the Daredevil, Black Cat, Spider-Man team-up was just so much fun with those characters, the way they interacted, great art by Kano, um, and just a great kind of like, these are why I love the characters of the Marvel Universe, this is why I love Marvel's New York City and where they all exist. So I'm going to say Daredevil number 8 gets our twin of the week with some very game competition, so quite an accomplishment for Daredevil number 8. I'm sure Mark Wade will be sending me a... Uh, a fruit basket soon, which I won't eat because I don't like fruit, but I'll give it to my wife. Um, so thank you, Daredevil team, for, for all that you do. Uh, in addition to the single issues that came out this week, we, of course, have our collections on sale, also available now. And we thank Max Beckman, who always passes us this list. But on sale this week, <clears throat> Doc and X-23 Collision, collecting the Doc and X-23 crossover from earlier this year. Deadpool Classic Volume 6, which is now into, I believe, the Christopher Priest run on the story. Uh, two Fear Itself hardcovers, Fear Itself Journey into Mystery, which is the first several issues of the awesome Journey into Mystery series that we talk a lot about on this book. Uh, <laughs> we talk a lot about on this podcast, so your first opportunity to sample the beginning of Journey into Mystery in that hardcover, and also Fear Itself Thunderbolts hardcover, uh, which was the Thunderbolts battling against Juggernaut and some other side effects from fear itself. Marvel First 1970s is out this week featuring a bunch of key stories from 1970s introducing different Marvel characters. Marvel Point One Two, uh, which is the second collection of Point One issues. Another hardcover, Marvel Masterworks Atlas Era Tales to Astonish Volume 4, more horror stories and monster stories from Tales, of Aston Tales to Astonish. Here's an interesting one, New Defenders, uh, which is the 1980s revamped Defenders lineup with Beast, Moondragon, Agent M's favorite Cloud, some really weird and quirky members. Um, that's an interesting trade. I encourage you to check that out. 
12 volume 1 is out getting ready for the return of the 12 Ultimate Comics Hawkeye by Jonathan Hickman collected in full in hardcover also X23 volume 2 Chaos Theory in hardcover and finally X Factor volume 12 Scar Tissue that is everything you can pick up at your local comic shop but of course Marvel does not stop uh, with print we are big time into digital uh, on the Marvel Comics app you can get the following issues that came out this week are also available day and date so they came out in print this week but they're also available digitally on the Marvel Comics app and that is Amazing Spider-Man number 678 Avenging Spider-Man number 3 Daredevil number 8 Fear Itself the Fearless number 7 Generation Hope number 15 John Carter a Princess of Mars number 5 John Carter the World of Mars number 4 New Mutants number 36 Thunderbolts number 169, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number 6, Uncanny X-Force number 20, Uncanny X-Men number 5, and Venom number 12. In addition to those day and date digital comics, we also added a selection of older dig of older comics to the Marvel Comics app. So newly available this week are all five issues of Marvel Zombies Return. It actually looks like it might be six issues. Uh, we have a new intern working for us. Very excited uh, to welcome Carrie Fialo to the team. And I left her Twitter handle uh, back at my desk, but I'll have it next week. So we have moved on from the days of Jaunty to uh, Carrie is now helping us put this together. Uh, and she did a great job, but it looks like she may have made her first era, which I will be excited to point out to her on Friday. Um, but she did a great job otherwise. So Marvel Zombies Return. You also have Miss Marvel, the most recent series, number 18 through 24. Uh, New Avengers, number 48 through 50. That is obviously not the current books. The current book just started a, a little over a year ago, um, but that was the, the previous book. Uh, Secret Invasion, Dark Reign, number one, which kicked off Dark Reign. Ultimate Spider-Man, number 118 through 122. X-Factor, current series, number 28 through 32. And, kind of a blast from the past, Extreme X-Men, number 10 through number 18. And finally, for the Marvel Comics app, uh, we have new collections that are being released this week. And that includes New Avengers Volume 5, Civil War, Punisher, Dark Reign, Secret Wars, Ultimate Iron Man Volume 2, Silver Surfer Requiem, one of my favorite books of the last few years, definitely check that out, and Spider-Man Big Time. But wait, there's more. Uh, Marvel Digital Comics are available not just on the Marvel Comics app. You can also go to Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited on Marvel.com. And we have some new books available via that service as well. Um, already this week, we've put out Carnage number three, Osborne number three, Spider Girl, current series number four, Ultimate Comics Spider Man number 153 and number 154. Captain America number 616, which is a major uh, anniversary issue, 616. Iron Man Legacy number 11, the latest issue of New Avengers, issue number 9, the first two issues of the recent Power Man and Iron Fist limited series, Astonishing X-Men number 36, Astonishing X-Men Xenogenesis number 4, Generation Hope number 4, Marvel Girl number 1, which is a one-shot special from last year, New Mutants, most recent series, number 22. Uh, Loki, number 3, should be up today. That is also the most recent series. The Superhero Squad Spectacular, number 1, also up today. And finally up today, Thunderbolts, number 151, 152, and 154. Now, provided this did go up Thursday, um, and I'm talking to you now on a Thursday, tomorrow we will have five more comics, and that will be Invaders Now, number 5. Loki, number 4, wrapping up the recent series. Ozma of Oz, number four, She-Hulk's number four, Ultimate Comics Doom, number three, and that is it. And so that is all our uh, comics on sale for this week. Uh, obviously, various ways to get that, whether it's going to your local comic store, using the Marvel Comics app on your iOS or Android devices, or accessing Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited through marvel.com. Um, TV this week, we have coming up tomorrow, Friday, um, the 20th, Friday, January 20th, at 11 p.m. Eastern Time on G4. It is the second episode of the Blade anime, uh, the brand new anime from uh, Marvel Animation. And in this second episode, we have Blade continuing his quest to track down Deacon Frost, 
He forms an uneasy alliance with Makoto, who blames Blade for the death of her father and despises him since he's part vampire. So that is going to be at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, Friday, January 20th on G4. Right now there's a preview clip and a screenshot gallery from the episode on Marvel.com. Um, and that is, that is it for TV this week. Some news before we get to your questions. Um, I'm first of all taking some news sent to me straight from Strami on the uh, TV, movies, and video game front. Looks like we got some TV and video game news. Uh, first of all, as I just said, there are screenshots and preview clip up for the Blade anime. But also, uh, for those of you, I know this is, this is a frequent topic on Twitter, and when we get feedback uh, asking about Marvel Heroes, the MMO, we have news that it's going to be powered by the Unreal Engine. Now, I myself am not a uh, huge gamer, so I'm not entirely sure what that means, but if you want to know what that means, uh, go to marvel.com, check out the story on Marvel Heroes and the Unreal Engine, and if you have any questions about it, be sure to tweet those to us, um, because I'm sure when Stromy and or Agent M are back next week, those guys will have a lot more insight into it. I'm pretty excited for the Marvel MMO, even as not a huge games guy, just because I love the idea of being able to interact in a huge Marvel universe, so I will actually be reading up on this um, to find out more. Um, on the comic side of things, we had sneak, a sneak peek of the Punisher number 8. We had a very cool look at Astonishing X-Men by Mike Perkins, some uh, sketches he did of Wolverine, Gambit, Iceman, North Star, and Warbird as he gets psyched to take over Astonishing X-Men. And we debuted a whole bunch of Avengers vs. X-Men covers, uh, both the cover to number one as well as the cover to number two, both by Jim Chung, and then tie-in covers to New Avengers by Mike Diodato, as well as some other tie-in covers. So check out that full gallery as we continue to get excited for AVX. Um, speaking of AVX, last week we did a story called AVX Round 1, showing some teasers depicting various X-Men versus various Avengers. Some of these battles may take place in AVX, some of them may not, but they're by all our top artists. So if you want to, again, get in the mood for AVX, get a feel for the flavor, go and check that out. It's a pretty extensive, cool gallery of everyone you can think of. Uh, we did a story called Swinging with Spider-Man, which is about one of the people who uh, helped with the, or ordered a uh, special Spider Island retailer variant from their retailer from Midtown Comics. The story of how they got drawn by Todd Nock on their very own Amazing Spider-Man cover uh, with their son, and how they have since started collecting the other Amazing Spider-Man retailer variants. Very unique, very cool story. Uh, we had a Q&A on Tuesday with Jeff Parker, about the upcoming 50th issue of Hulk, as well as what's coming up in Thunderbolts and what's going on in Circle of Four. And finally, we had a series this week called The Father Files, which is still ongoing, continuing our build to Secret Avengers by Rick Remender and Gabriel Hardman. This time we are meeting the various races of the Descendants, who is a very neat concept. It's uh, different robots, kind of classic robots from the Marvel Universe. Um, there's a whole race of them living underneath the surface of the Earth. Um, but they have a bunch of different offshoots. There are the Doomborgs, who are evolved Doombots. There are Ultravisions, who are kind of an offshoot of the Vision. There are Machine People, who are a variation on Machine Man, and other things. Uh, we started looking at these guys and kind of what what they are, who they're going to be, what distinguishes them. It's all part of a much bigger story, but, you know, as I've said in the last few weeks, months. Uh, Secret Avengers is a book I am really, really excited for. Rick Remender has a grand vision and he unveils a little bit more of it this week in The Father Files. Okay, we got through all that in record time um, and I am going to finish up here by answering some of your questions <clears throat> which were hopefully directed uh, for anyone um, so I can answer them uh, or directed at me. I always love questions directed at me. Just kidding. No, not really. I do. I love them. Uh, if you have questions for This Week in Marvel, you can tweet me at, at Ben J. Morse. You can tweet Agent underscore M. You can tweet at Marvel, at Stromy. Or the easiest way to do it is really just hashtag This Week in Marvel on Twitter and ask any question you want, you know, about comics, movies, TV, toys, clothes, life, love, etc. And we will do our best to answer it in our next podcast. Uh, so starting us off today... We have Dirty Lash has a uh, pair of questions at Dirty Lash. And the first is, 
if you were to have either a Minimate or a Squinky in your image, which would you prefer? Interesting question, Dirty Lash, difficult question. Um, I love Minimates, um, even though they're, they're very small. Um, I think it would be very cool to have a Minimate in myself. Squinkies have a certain appeal, but they're kind of deformed. They freak me out a little bit. I'm also still a little traumatized uh, by our much loved and much missed former coworker Harry Go uh, cut up a bunch of squinkies, which are these delightful little gummy toys, and kind of went all Dr. Moreau with them, making like little squinky hybrids with different heads and bodies. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of messed up from that. So I'm gonna say I would probably, I'd probably want a mini made myself. That would be pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> The next question is, who's the biggest brain at Marvel? I list off Reed Richards, Hank Pym, MODOK, the leader, someone else. That is an interesting and much debated question. Um, I know ever since Greg Pak and Fred Van Lente proclaimed Amadeus Cho one of the smartest people in the Marvel Universe, the debate has been raging. Who are the other smartest people in the Marvel Universe? Who is the smartest person in the Marvel Universe? Uh, just going from your list, Dirty Lash, um, we have Hank Pym, smart guy, some emotional problems, but that aside, very specialized to a certain field. He can pretty much shrink things or make them bigger, and he's great at that, but that's kind of his niche. Um, <clears throat> Modoc and the leader, also both incredibly smart, but I think where their failing comes from is their intelligence is generated by external means. They were both kind of mute, they were normal guys who are mutated into being incredibly smart, so they can lose their intelligence at any time. Uh, even though the leader, you know, super intelligence is his superpower. So when he's on, he's there are a few people smarter than him. But I don't, uh, I wouldn't put them in the front of the race. Tony Stark, you didn't mention, another very smart guy, can seemingly do anything, very technologically minded. But I don't think he's ever fully committed himself um, the way he could. He's incredibly smart and he pulls off a lot. But imagine if he, you know, focused full time on science as opposed to, you know, carousing and uh, chasing the dames. Now, you know what, I think he has the right idea, but at the same time, I think he doesn't make the list. Um, Dr. Doom, certainly one of the smartest guys in the Marvel Universe when it comes to robotics, when it comes to uh, all forms of science, when it comes to alchemy, when it comes to mysticism, so those are some things you can't tap. But of course, Doom, his failing is that uh, he is too arrogant. So. His raw intelligence doesn't really make up for that. Bruce Banner is incredibly smart, but he also uh, blew himself up and became a giant green monster, so let's take him off the board. Um, similarly, Hank McCoy tested uh, an experimental serum on himself and made himself blue and furry, so I didn't really go for him. I think Black Panther's near the top of the list. I think people don't realize how smart he is, um, although he has to devote a lot of his time to ruling Wakanda or, at the moment, cleaning up Elle's Kitchen, so I don't think he has ever been able to live up to his full potential. But I think the guy on your list who I would probably go with um, as the biggest brain in the Marvel Universe would, would be Reed Richards. Um, he's <clears throat> He can stretch, but again, he's a guy who I think his natural power has always been that he is incredibly smart. He looks at things a different way. He you know sees complex equations the way you and I might see simple writing. He's kind of operating on a different level. And even though he does have a family and he's a well-balanced guy, he certainly constantly puts his marriage in jeopardy by the fact that he is so devoted to science and to his work. So maybe in that sense, he's not that smart. But I think from the criteria you're going for, he may be the smartest guy. Although I will say, I think in a few years, the person who might give him a run for his money is his daughter, Valeria, who's almost nearly as smart as him, and she's still a little girl. So when it's all said and done, Valeria Richards could be the, uh, the biggest brain in the Marvel Universe, but time will tell. Anyways, moving on. <clears throat> Levi P. Tompkins, big fan of the show. We, we love Levi and uh, all he contributes. Had a whole slew of questions this week. And the first one's a very interesting one. It said, didn't Thor's death erase his memory from everyone's consciousness? It's true, that took place in fear itself. In that case, how do the New Avengers remember the clone Thor in the newest issue of New Avengers? That is a very good point, Levi P. Tompkins. Uh, the New Avengers encounter Ragnarok, the clone of Thor, and they make a comment to the effect of, oh, great, the Dark Avengers have a Thor. Um, I think that's one we're going to have to stay tuned for because the question really is, where does that take place on the timeline? Um, 
Is Thor still remembered at that point? Does something happen where he will be remembered again? I think that's one I'm going to hesitate answering for now and maybe ask again in a few months. Uh, we can talk about it then. But uh, very astute, and I would be interested to hear other people's explanations. Maybe, maybe a no prize in the offing for that. Another from Levi B. Tompkins, what happened to Camilla Black, the Scorpion? I love that character, and while her mom's been around, um, you know, she's appeared in Incredible Hulks and in uh, New Avengers, we haven't seen her since the Gauntlet. Uh, where is she? Where is the Scorpion? That is a, another great question, Levi. Uh, the Scorpion has not been seen since the, since the Gauntlet, but I will say that the Scorpion is a much-beloved character of Fred Van Lente, Greg Pak, and Jeff Parker and many others in the Mark Panicia offices. So as long as Mark Panicia is working here and his cadre of writers are here, I would say it's a it's a fair bet we haven't seen the last of the Scorpion. Um, not recently, but she was set up for some stuff in that gauntlet issue, and I, I, I would suspect we will see the Scorpion again maybe this year. No guarantee, but uh, just a hunch. A hunch based purely on speculation on my part, just knowing those guys and how much they love that character. Another from Levi P. Tompkins, what's the turnaround time for a character to be introduced or become popular and the time we can get merchandise for them? Uh, not really a question I'm fully qualified to answer, as I don't work in licensing or something like that, but I will take a go at saying, you know, everything's a unique case scenario. In some cases, like if you look at Miles Morales, the new Ultimate Comics Spider-Man, we knew in advance he was going to be a big deal, so, you know, there's already a mini-mate of him. There is already various merchandise with Miles Morales involved, and that was because they knew going in, this guy's going to be a big deal, and we should get ready, so they designed stuff for him. Similarly, if you look at Minimates, Minimates are always, you know, on the cusp of newest stuff. Age of X Minimates came out recently featuring those redesigns, which are not even a year old. And again, that was kind of foresight planning. Okay, we know people love other dimensional X-Men stories. We should probably get ready for this. Sometimes a new character takes us by surprise, and in that case, you know, they'll debut in print. We don't know they're going to be a big deal, and it will take a little longer because the process to get a, a character into merchandise, to get a toy made, it's not a quick thing. You can't just be like, oh, wow, people really like, you know, Troll from Thunderbolts. We should make a Troll uh, figure. It doesn't just happen instantly, and you got to see if the character has staying power. So... Some cases, you know a character's going to be a big deal, or you know you have a good knack for it. You'll get things kind of set up in advance, and in that case, you'll see merchandise what seems like very quickly. Um, but in other cases, you know it, it takes some time. But another very good question. Um, and finally, Levi P. Tompkins, I'm in love with Brew. We need a Brew stuffed animal or a whole Wolverine and the X Men set with Brew, Dupe, Lockheed, and a Banff. Uh, not really a question, more of a request, and one I fully support. We can always use new stuffed animal Marvel toys. Uh, Brew is kind of terrifying looking, but I guess a little cute. I think if I had that as a stuffed animal and you know it was on my bed or something, I woke up in the morning, I'd be I'd be a little freaked out to have a little brood face looking back at me. But you know, more power to you, Levi P. Tompkins, to each their own. Um, from Thaddeus, we have, how come I never hear about Moon Knight? All the, are the Ultron pieces seen in Moon Knight part of the Age of Ultron story shown in the Point One book? Well, Thaddeus, I just talked about Moon Knight this week. So um, if you don't hear about Moon Knight, maybe you're not listening. Just kidding. I'm just saying. Uh, we did talk about Moon Knight this week. There are stuff going on in his book. I do like your question about, uh, you know, there's, there's an Ultron head that showed up in Moon Knight written by Brian Michael Bendis. We know there is a Ultron story previewed in Point One coming out written by Brian Michael Bendis. Putting two and two together, it's not impossible, given that common element of Brian Michael Bendis as well as Ultron, maybe maybe there is something to that. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, there's big Ultron plans for 2012, and Moon Knight is still going, so I guess we'll see soon enough. Uh, we finish up with a pair of questions from our friend at RCS underscore T. Just as my voice is giving out perfect timing, um, he wants to know, Supers, superheroes ever have to wash their costumes? What seamstress repairs them? Do they know their true identity? Hmm. Well, again, I'm going to say this is a case-by-case -case thing. You know, if you're, if you're part of the Avengers, you have Jarvis to do your costume for you, and he knows a lot of their identities, but he's also, you know, great with discretion and things like that. So if you're an Avenger, you're kind of set. 
Uh, if you're an X-Man, they don't really have a go-to person for that. Maybe since Cyclops and Wolverine have taken on all this responsibility, they're now also sewing costumes. Uh, if you're a more of a loner, like Daredevil or the Punisher, although Daredevil's technically an Avenger now, I think you got to do a lot on your own. You don't really trust anyone to do that. But you know, it's really that that's that's one of the benefits of joining the team is if if you're on a team, even if you're on the Defenders, you have Wong who probably hates sewing stuff. But I bet you know if Doctor Strange really begs him will do it um, with the fantastic forum sure reed has invented something so they don't need a seamstress but or to wash their clothes but you know it's one of the fringe benefits of being on a team if you're a solo hero you got to do it yourself if you're on a team hopefully you get someone to take care of you final question from at rcs underscore t kind of related to the last question do marvel heroes ever get sick do they ever eat uh, absolutely they do. There have been, I can recall many, a Spider-Man story, some classics, and right up into the modern day that have revolved around Spider-Man having a cold um, and how it makes it even more difficult for him to fight crime. So they definitely get sick. And as far as eating, you know, there's classic stories with uh, the X-Men at Harry's Hideaway or Thor pounding down a huge meal with some mead. So yes, superheroes absolutely get sick. They eat. They're just like us except they have magical hammers and uh, mutant powers. And I think that is a good place to end, uh, coming in just over an hour this week. Uh, thank you so much for bearing with me. Uh, I know this was a lot of listening to me. I hope I did a decent job, and you guys, please don't be afraid to let me know how I did. Uh, just keep it, keep it relatively nice because I'm very sensitive. But thank you so much for joining us on... Uh, this week in Marvel. Uh, for more information on anything we talked about today, be sure to visit marvel.com. We've got all the latest on comics, on movies, on TV, news on everything. And uh, again, tweet us at Marvel, at Ben J. Morse, at agent underscore M. Use the hashtag this week in Marvel. And if you have a question for next week, we will do our best to answer it. Thank you so much for joining us uh, wherever you got this. Have a great week. See you next week. And this is Marvel, your universe.